I am back. I've had a fantastic two weeks since the last time I talked to you guys. I hope you've had a fantastic two weeks as well. Um, summer is winding down. Today is the first day of school. I know for a lot of people, um, my daughter's starting high school. That's crazy, but it's uh, it's been a really good summer. I'm looking forward to the fall. I'm looking forward to the school year. Hopefully a little semblance of normalcy. We'll see. Um, let's stop for a second and thank our patrons. So thank you, Kathy, Cindy, Brian, Chelsea, Jesse, Travis, Tyler, and Brian. Thank you for supporting the show. You too can support the show for as little as $1 a month. You can go to patreon.com forward slash look what I did and support us there and get access to some some special content there as well. Um, this episode is Will. Uh, he is like the executive director of the Southeast region of trade policy for solar. He's an expert. When we first sat down and started talking, he kind of said like, I am an expert. That's literally what I, what I do. Um, and this is a big learning one for me because, uh, yeah, I'm not an expert. So you'll definitely go on a journey of me discovering solar. Um, and I know this one seems a little bit different because it, it's not like traditional creativity, but there there was some really cool conversation about like where solar could go and how we could build on this idea and, and kind of how like, you know, the gig economy with Uber um, towards the later part of the show, kind of talk about how something similar could happen with solar, just some really cool ideas. What was super fun to talk to you. I, I do actually probably need to stop and say, a special thank you to my friend, William Chesser. Um, he listens to the show and he has been instrumental in some of the, the great guests we've had recently. So Will is actually his nephew. David Holloway is his best friend. Jamie Lemons is somebody he knew growing up as well. Um, so he, I, I may have to bring him on as my booking agent. He's just lining up all these amazing people all the time. So thanks, William, um, for, for what you've done for the show uh, and just being a supporter and, and a good friend as well. So um, I think without further ado, Mr. Will, enjoy. All right, um, so let's start with who you are and what you do. Okay, so I'm Will Giese. I am the currently the Southeast Regional Director for the Solar Energy Industries Association, which is the like primary national trade association for the solar industry. But I've worked in solar and solar policy, but also on the private side in the solar industry for maybe six or seven years. So what, what got you into solar? Uh, <laughs> well, Were you a salesman? Were you one of those guys that knocks on my door all the time? And <laughs> No, actually, before, <laughs> before that, I was a, um, like a medic. So yeah, I was an EMT. It's a medic. weird jump. Yeah, it is. So this is like in the early, you know, 2008, nine. well... 2009, 2010, I got my EMT basic license and then got a couple other licenses after that. And I worked on ambulances and in an emergency room. Right. Um, but I was also going to school trying to get my bachelor's degree. And I was kind of getting a little bit burned out um, in the emergency medicine field. And the this real stupid reason that I work in solar is that I wanted to find a way to kind of help like the most people be the most utilitarian about helping people. And I figured like, instead of helping one person at a time, maybe I could do something in, you know, environmental or sustainability. sustainability. That doesn't sound dumb. You're also saving the planet for, you know, <laughs> I have a kid, so hopefully we're doing some work towards that. That's right. helpful. Yeah. <laughs> and you know, uh, you know, I'll have kids or right now I have a dog and you know, maybe she'll live past me and you know, have a good life. I sincerely <laughs> hope that your dog doesn't outlive you. She's pretty this, tough. This conversation took a dark <laughs> turn automatically. So I, um, so I think like I, I was going through and getting my bachelor's degree and, and now I have a master's uh, from the University of Hawaii where I lived, but my bachelor's degree, I was working at the University of Tennessee to get it. And I was the second class in basically their like sustainable sustainability public policy degree. So it was a blend of science and public policy. And part of that degree was having a couple of internships. And so I worked at this one organization called United Mountain Defense, where they were like lay science people and they would go out into the field and test um, natural gas will, uh, wells. Right. Um, and there's a bunch of them all over the Smoky Mountains. And so we'd go out in there and test, and every single one of them was leaking methane. And then after that inter internship, I worked at the Tennessee Solar Energy Association, which is a trade organization based in Tennessee. And I just got really into renewable energy. 
I got to talk to this guy named Scott Brusa, who is this uh, owner of the Solar Roads company, where he builds like solar road panels as part oh, of the like, paper. Okay. Yeah. Um, so I just got really into solar energy and got to know some folks who had, you know, the class before me had graduated, worked at a company called Solar City, which what was eventually bought up by Tesla. I was going to um, say, that sounds really familiar, but there we go. That's yeah. the connection. All right. So I knew I wanted to work in policy, but um, I didn't. I was like totally green. I didn't have any chops. And so I was like, well, you know, get my foot in the door and work in the solar industry. So I got a job as a PV designer for Solar what, City. What's that? So I designed um, using like CAD right. um, PV systems on rooftops. So for people's homes. And I think I designed around three megawatts in a year of solar systems, which to give you a perspective, each system is around five to 10 kilowatts per house. So that, you know, there's a thousand kilowatts in a megawatt. Right. So three megawatts. Is, We're going to need a whiteboard. Yeah. There's like well, too much. The, yeah. Get the chalk <laughs> and the strings. So um, I, I was doing that. I got that job in Riverside, California, and then they moved me to Hawaii uh, to work as a PV designer there for Solar City. And uh, at the time that they moved me, Hawaii got rid of one of their major solar policies called net energy metering. Okay. It's like around 2015. And I was also, <laughs> I was also shorting Solar City, um, like the shorting their stock, even though I worked for them. And I was, you know, they were like billions of dollars in debt and I knew something was coming down the pipe. Right. And I wanted to work in policy anyway. So NIM ended in Hawaii and we can talk about all that stuff. <laughs> but um, I like... And the weird SEC thing that just happened, I think. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so that, the precursor to that was happening when I was working there. And I, I knew I didn't want to do, um, like I wanted to do policy, renewable energy policy. So I met with the lobbyist for Solar City in Hawaii and he basically was like, you should go work for the Hawaii Solar Energy Association, which is the trade association there. Um, and he was telling me this, you know, as a Solar City employee to another Solar City. <laughs> right. Um, and I said, oh, cool, I'll check it out. And, uh, you know, I, I went and interviewed for that job and I didn't get it. But two folks on the board offered me a position doing policy for their private companies based in Hawaii. And so I did policy for them and kind of worked my way up and ended up becoming the executive director of the HSCA, the Hawaii Solar Energy Association. And at the time I became the director, I was, I think I was one of the youngest, if not the youngest nonprofit director in the state of Hawaii. I think I yeah, was like 24. You appear relatively, yeah, that seems like a fast, <laughs> like you did all this in two months period yeah, of time. It, it seems like that, <laughs> I had 19 summer jobs and then became an executive director. Yeah. And then I just worked in solar policy and we can get into that, but that was kind of the path to get me to where I am. And so when I was working at the private company in Hawaii and then Hawaii Solar Energy Association now, I was doing a lot of the same stuff, lobbying, right. doing regulatory work, all kinds of things like that. Yeah. So you've said a lot of things that, yeah. and I'm not a scientist, so. <laughs> Neither am I. PV. Yes. Let's define that term because I actually don't know what that means, but I assume it's the solar panels on the, or the system actually that's going on the roof. That's right. That so correct? if I ever mention a, a jargon term, just like interrupt me because I speak in like I speak electric regulator. <laughs> so um, PV, yeah, is photovoltaic. Okay. I might say DER, which stands for distributed energy resource, which is basically any energy generating system that's on the distribution side of the grid, which is where your house is. Right? Gotcha. Right. So if you imagine the grid in like a kind of a straight line down at the top is generation. So large power plants. And then you have the transmission network that takes the electricity from those power plants and puts them out. Right. Um, and then you have the distribution network where all that electricity on the huge distributed lines to, is distributed to houses. Which I would call it the receiving network, but that's just me. Yeah. Well, yeah you I'm like, they're not distributing that. anything. That's a weird terminology, but they're being distributed to. Feels like a leap. Well, Got it. No, I mean, it's a good, it's a good distinction, right? Because <laughs> traditionally, like... Your house, for instance, is always a receiver. Very right. few houses. It's a would dead generate. end most of the time. Yeah, it's the end. You know Unless where it goes. Unless you're generating your own, right? And so my policy, the my policy focus, really, what I do. Um, I mean, I do a lot of solar policy right now in my job. I do grid scale, which is like solar farms, huge farms on the on the generation side of the grid. Right. But where I come from, and you know what I'm, my expertise is in the distribution side of the grid. So building what's called a distribution up grid, where a lot of the electricity generation is coming from houses in aggregate, right. from photovoltaic systems, solar systems, or distributed energy resources, 
demand response resources, all these types of things up through the grid to everyone else. That's Got what it. I'm trying to build. Yeah. So, cause there, there is, I looked at solar once some things there, um, <laughs> that we can get into, but, uh, it's hard as a consumer to tell what your situation is going to be like with once you have solar, right? Because totally. not every state is the same in whether you can even send it back and get a credit or not and how that works. And so just for layman's terms, that's the side of it that you work on kind of is like, what are the regulations and the policies going to be regarding solar and how it's managed? Is yeah, exactly. Fair? So, um, most, states have a structure called net energy metering which is probably what you're most familiar with in like a place like arkansas has this um, and what that means is that if you have a solar system on your home and you generate electricity a lot of the times you're actually not using that it's just I'm buying one now because i can call it a solar system on my home yeah i've never heard anybody say it quite that way i was like a solar system i don't have a oh <laughs> well if you talk to the salespeople, you should just talk about der oh okay like, um you know der tariffs and then they'll throw you'll throw throw them for a loop <laughs> fair all right yeah i'm gonna talk to you before i talk to another person yeah. it turns out like solar really works better if you're a single story home because it was some interesting and it turned out incorrect math on the salesperson's part mm. to get me up to even like I couldn't even go fully solar on the system they had really at the time. On this I, home? Yeah, like it wouldn't they were not able to provide enough power to run the home, they thought. Interesting. I mean your roof is very unique when I was looking at it coming in. There's a lot of angles. Right. And so and there is a little bit of tree cover. So I'm I'm I can yeah. see that. But that that's one thing and it's something that I don't know how much you talk about this or get into this, but um like solar's coming, right? And and I, I know it's here to some extent, but it's not ubiquitous, right? Like it's not everybody has it. And um I think part of the issue when I think about it or my encounter with it was it just isn't quite efficient enough yet, right? Like it takes a lot of space to get enough heat to generate the electricity you need depends on where you are geographically that's fair depends on um it also depends on the like tariff that you're signing up under so how much money you get for energy you're exporting right um but nowadays i mean solar panels are i mean when i was starting out in solar and this wasn't even a decade ago the average solar panel size so just one panel or we call them a module one module right same footprint as they are today, so like four feet by, you know, uh, six feet or seven feet or something like that, will produce, I think at the time it was like 210 watts from one panel. And now the average panel size that's going up on the roof is anywhere from 350 to 400 watts in the same footprint. Right. Right? So the panels like themselves have gotten almost twice as efficient in less than 10 years. Um, the inverter technology, which is where the power, so power that gets, hits your roof is DC and it needs to be inverted into AC, which right, is usable right. power for most homes. Um, those inverters have less conversion loss where okay. you flip it to AC, you lose a little bit of power, but now they've got even, they're more efficient that way. Right. Um, so I think, you know, you talk about like the ubiquity, ubiquity or of solar, it depends on the state you're living in. Right. So right. where I did a lot of my work in Hawaii, um, one in three homes in the state of Hawaii has a solar system on them. Oh, wow. And one in two homes has a solar water heating system, which is a solar thermal, which is right. something completely different. Right. So, like, you know, it's quickly becoming the case that more and more folks have solar than not. So um, is that a combination of more direct sunlight, right? Like, they're just getting it more year-round, et cetera. So better, better incentive to adopt early, but also then does this come back to policy? Like, did Hawaii have yeah. policies that really kind of encouraged? So Hawaii's quite unique. Um, as an island, it is islanded from other grids. Right. So, like, if you live in California or Arkansas, Arkansas right. is part of MISO, which is this huge kind of grid that goes across state lines all the way into Canada. So okay. sometimes you might, you know, part of the load that's being met in Arkansas might be generated in Canada. Right, right. right. Um, Hawaii has no power lines that go to it. And each island in Hawaii is islanded from the other one. So each... Oh, they all have their own yeah, totally own unique... But, wow. And 80... At, when I lived there, between 80 and 90% of the electricity that's generated is generated through fuel oil. 
So it's super expensive. Right. And so the average cost per kilowatt hour in Hawaii, um, when I lived there, was between 29 and 34 cents a kilowatt hour. In Arkansas, your average cost is around 9 cents a kilowatt hour. Got it. So it's super expensive, right? Yeah, yeah. So I give this like, what does that mean? So I lived in a 600 square foot apartment, kind of in the mountains in Oahu, um, where it's a little cooler. Right. Uh, I didn't have an air conditioner. I almost never turn on lights. Windows open all the time. I still paid almost $200 a month in electric bill. Wow. Just That's crazy. to have my Xbox running or something. Yeah. Right? <laughs> well, an Xbox is a power horse, though. Thing. I mean, it's going to suck up a lot of... Yeah, PlayStation is probably like right there with my refrigerator. Right. <laughs> when, when but like, power consumption. like I moved to Richmond earlier this year, uh, like in the winter when it was really cold and I was running the heat a lot and my electric bill was maybe $100 a month you right. know, for an apartment that was... 850 900 square feet yeah right um so that's one economic incentive is just so expensive to have so it, to pay for it almost pushes you the other options become more viable right at that point right. because i you know and i told the guy this and like i don't want to sound insensitive to it but there had to be a it had to be at least break even for me to adopt a technology that's still relatively it's weird because solar's been around for a long time right like we've been working on it for decades right but it's it's really over 100 years actually all right (laughs) so turns out you're the expert i'm just the person sitting here and remembering popular mechanics had a solar powered van in the 80s i'm pretty sure on the cover (laughs) clinton or uh carter had solar thermal on his on the roof of the pool house for the white house Wow, that's amazing. Yeah. Yeah, so this has been around for a long time, but we're getting to this point where it's cost it's definitely in the effective. public consciousness. It's getting more cost effective, but it still kind of has to be break even for me. Sure. Um, and I think for a lot of people, right? Like it's hard to invest in the 24 years from now. I'm not going to have, I can't remember exactly the date they gave me, but it was like, oh, at this point, then it's going to be really cheap. And I was like, that's almost like the well, that house payment. Me. Like maybe I'm remembering it wrong. Yeah. Because most return on investments for solar systems, even in Arkansas, like if you're buying the system yourself, is around ten years, and the life of a system is warranted generally for twenty five. So you oh, have maybe I'm remembering the opposite just, thing. Yeah, yeah, I might be remembering the opposite thing, but it was you know, and this was five years ago, four years ago, so it may have been. Yeah, it's a different game now. Right. Yeah. So maybe it's time to recheck in the. You may have convinced. This was just a sales pitch. That's <laughs> yeah. all that happened. I know a bunch of guys. This isn't even a podcast interview. <laughs> um. But yeah, it's interesting how like different locations are going to incentivize different forms of energy sure. production, right? Like Kansas, you drive through and you just have windmills everywhere because right. it makes sense to do that. You have a giant open plane. Um, is so that being said, actually, the question I would have is: Is solar to you the optimal um, way to generate electricity, or do you think it is a mixture of kind of like wind and I'm gonna show my ignorance and say, I don't actually know all the other ones, but yeah. right. Like wind, wind water hydro, power. Current energy. Yeah. Yeah. All um, that stuff. Is it a mixture of all those or is solar just like, this is the efficient way to go. So I don't think like, well, let's look at the theoretical of how can we power the entire continental U S with renewables. Right. I think it's going to be a mix of resources. Right. And I also think too, one thing that you leave out that a lot of people don't that sometimes people leave out is nuclear, which is actually a zero carbon resource, but it's pretty controversial, right? Right. For a lot of reasons, nuclear has has some issues. And, um, but it's pretty efficient. It's incredibly efficient. <laughs> so I think it's like 300 carts, like um, 300 cargo carts of coal equals one cargo cart of nuclear fuel rods to power the same amount. Wow. Right. Yeah, that's crazy. I, I don't know if that's true or not. I'm not a nuclear guy. I mean, I kind of am, but like the big nuclear engine that's in the in space. Is, right. That's my kind of thing. I am biased um, towards solar, obviously. I just, I think it's, and I also, the reason I really like rooftop is that to me, it represents um, energy independence, right? This is right. even something that you hear a lot in, I know you don't talk about politics, but like in conservative circles, there's this right. concept of energy independence where you generate electricity on the homeland, right, right here in the U.S. I mean, what? How much more independent can you get than generating it on the roof of your own home? Right. And I also think too that, you know, rooftop solar, especially, you know, utilities have a business model, um, for the most part, that are called cost of service, where they are allowed to get 
a regulated rate of return on their investment uh, at a certain percentage point. So commonly it's somewhere between nine and 10% on any investment that they make. So how would that, that deal? In- yeah. So does <laughs> I everybody. I don't get that on anything. <laughs> so if you were a utility, would you make a very inexpensive investment in infrastructure? Or would you make a very expensive investment in something so that you can make a larger return on it? If you're regulated that return and yeah. you can pass the cost of that investment onto all of your rate payers. Yeah. So it's diversified. Right. So this, cost, yeah. Yeah. So this incentivizes a practice in cost of service rate making called gold plating where they buy the most expensive thing that they can because they're going to make a bigger volumetric return on it. And they pass that cost on to all rate payers, including you in a rate. So what solar on people's roofs represent is breaking away from having to be under the thrall of a utility company. You're way better than the last solar panel salesman. I'll give you that. <laughs> <laughs> so I think like this, this represents like freedom from from that and choice for you. Right. I, I remember right. like I, I sometimes I'll guest lecture um, at universities and stuff about solar, and almost every time one of the students will say, well, why did you even get in this in the first place? Part of it was like trying to save more lives. But the real reason was that when I moved to Hawaii- it's This Russian nesting doll of yeah. reasons. The real, real reason the is real I'm reason. Thanos. Yeah, it's mostly anger. It's like, mostly domination of the universe. Yeah, I'm more like I'm less Thanos, more Hulk. Because like when I got my electric bill in Hawaii and I like had used less than 200 kilowatt hours in a month, which is a really small amount, right. was still paying $200 a month. I just, I lost it. I, that made me so furious. And everybody, everybody should be mad about that. Yeah. And I had I no mean, choice to do anything For else. context, my electricity bill here is $200. Right. For 3,000 square feet. can fit like, like four of my houses. <laughs> but yeah, that's like, anyway... That's just, that's nuts. That's yeah. insane that your electric bill, and I do use air conditioning. Yeah. I mean, that's fine. Right. Like all that stuff is fine. But the real question is like, you know, getting back to your, could we do it with solar? Um, I think, um, you know, most of the electricity could be generated using solar and storage and wind. The real hairy issue you get into is um, how do you meet uh, functions that the utility is required to meet by federal standards? Things right. like fast frequency response, which is a really fancy term to th- say that the engine needs to be idling so that it can be ramped up really quickly if right. everyone decides to turn on their lights all at once. It's what you saw that happened in Texas earlier this yeah, year. Yeah, just overwhelm the system. And- so right now, solar and wind are what's called intermittent resources by themselves. So solar is generated when the sun is out, wind is generated when the wind is blowing. But if the wind isn't blowing and the sun isn't shining, what are you going to do? Well, what it turns out what you do is you have lots of batteries storage right so that you can store a lot of that power and use it at peak times when it's most useful right right so in reality like what we're really pushing for is having incentive structures built out so that not only will it make it cost effective for you to have a solar system but it'll make it cost effective for you to have a solar and storage system and ultimately i mean my goal is to have a system where you know, you could generate enough electricity to meet your own needs and then maybe sell to your neighbors next door. And like you have all these little micro businesses where everybody is selling, you know, their excess power back and forth to each other, right? Like Airbnb. Right. And then the grid becomes irrelevant other than to provide basically emergency power and the highway to move those electrons around. That's the goal. That's really cool. And wouldn't you want that? Like if, like, you had your house, you know, you almost have like an income in a way if you've overbuilt a solar system, right? Or you, let's say you can buy from the grid or you can buy from your neighbor and your neighbor's selling it to you at five cents a kilowatt hour and the grid is selling it to you at 10. Yeah. You buy from the neighbor. Why wouldn't I, right? I'm economically incentivized to do so. I mean, there's some potential downsides, right? Like who's maintaining my infrastructure at that point? The because even though, so my, we would have to talk through this and I would need a flow chart. So get your Visio out. But, uh, (laughs) like there's, I'm assuming there's a, are you working off the utility grid and selling to your neighbor? So right now all these power lines are owned by the utility for the most part. Right. But if I'm selling my excess electricity, there's no way, like, I guess I'm thinking, maybe I'm thinking too literally, but almost a direct connection within the neighborhood, right? It already exists. So you're just like renting the highway. You'd pay a toll, right. basically, right? So like you don't own the interstate. 
Right. But in some states, to get on the interstate, you pay the toll. Right. So, so in this case, I charge my neighbor five cents, but I pay the utility company one cent, 20%, yeah, right, like to, to utilize their... Okay, that would make sense. Infrastructure is already there. And in my mind, you know, we have this concept right now called vertically integrated utility where the utility owns everything. It owns the generation, it owns the transmission, all the way down to basically where your meter is, right. all that stuff. Um, so you need to, you know, a lot of the policy I worked on is breaking that link between the utility being incentivized to generate electricity and sell it to just having them, you know, be responsible for just the highways. The highways. The highway. Yeah, they're just going to be the DOT of <laughs> electricity. And then right. third parties will, you know, build out all that generation either on the roof or on a big utility scale system and compete with each other in a market. Right? And then you have this whole little pop-up economy all of a sudden that happens of the apps or whatever that arise to allow me to do this marketplace, right. privatized marketplace version of it. Interesting. Like, let's say, you know, you build a big solar system on your home or something like that, and you go take a vacation for three weeks or a month or something, and you just leave that system on and it pumps electricity Back to your neighbors in. and to the grid. Yeah. You're making money. Yeah. No, that's a. So, does that incentivize me, though, then if I have the capital, why not just go buy a thousand acres somewhere and just pump? I mean, are you, is there a potential downside of people then investing in kind of mini utilities at that point, right? To some extent where they're just harvesting a ton of solar right. and then pumping that back into the system. You could certainly do that if you had the capital to buy the land, to have solar on your land and right. make a return from that. I think grid scale solar is great. You know, I support it and do lots of policies around it. I There's think, not a downside there really to people doing that. No, but the question is, you know, the thing that I bring up from the consumer side, right, for you as the consumer, if you can't afford a bunch of land where you could build solar and get a huge return on that, like farmers, right? Right. Maybe they'll rent their land out for 20 years for solar because they'll get a better return. Right. They should right, do that. Right. But for the average person that doesn't own a thousand acres of farm, but they do own the house, this asset, or even if they like are an apartment and can like buy a piece of a larger solar system. Right. That produces a return for them. For the consumer it's hard to suss out the savings in your electric bill in any other way other than putting energy efficient equipment in your and home or having your a solar bill. system. Right. So that's kind of the big, it's more on a cost per watt basis. It's most expensive to install residential grid scale stuff, utility scale, solar, solar farms, super cheap on a cost per watt basis, uh, followed by commercial size projects, right. pretty cheap residential, much more expensive comparatively. Right. But the customer sees like an immediate return on that investment in a lower electric bill over time. Right. That's the incentive for that customer. And so my point is that not only should you sell this electricity and experience a savings for you, but you know, you own an asset that is beneficial to the grid, to your neighbors, to grid stability, to the right. utility. There are different like services that your system provides to that that should be valued especially if you have a battery or something that you should be paid for, right? So let's say you have a 10 kilowatt battery on your home and you say to the utility, I want to rent a kilowatt a month to you for capacity. I will never use that storage, but you can use it if you need it for emergencies and you pay me 20 bucks a month to use that as a credit on my bill, right? right. So you're generating electricity for them. You're providing a, you know, a capacity for their system if they need it for emergencies. Right. And you're giving electricity to your residents. Just reserve tank, basically. Yeah. So, so the other concern I have, and I know I have a lot of concerns. No. I obviously think about this. Um, is these forms of generating electricity power mm -hmm. require batteries, right? Because they're not functional all the time. Like you don't have sun all the time. You don't have wind all the time. And so, one thing I see is a, like a really critical piece of this is battery efficiency. Okay. Um, and like length of life of a battery. So batteries start to reduce their capacity to hold relatively quickly. Um, I'm not super current on battery technology, no. but, and, and we're getting better at it, right? Like they're more efficient, they're smaller. Um, it's, you know, you look at an iPhone now and how long it lasts versus, and what it's doing and how long it lasts um, versus even three generations ago, right? Right. 
but I still have this question even when it comes to electric cars, like, and nobody can answer it. And I'm super into motorcycles. So I've driven like the, or ridden the, the, uh, Harley Davidson live wire, their electric. Oh yeah. It's so much fun. It's super amazing, but nobody could, you only get like 75 miles off that battery. Right. And I was like, well, how long before the battery capacity is really 80% of its max capacity right now. And now you're looking at like 64, whatever, right? Like miles. I mean, you start to lose distance really quickly. How long before we hit that point? And they either wouldn't or couldn't, I'm sure they could, answer that question right um and that's to me and those batteries aren't cheap especially when you start looking at a tesla or like a 10 kilowatt home yeah the ford f-150 that's coming out or is out Um, yeah i mean they the ford is marketing that vehicle as a home battery as well yeah right i know somebody that's thinking about buying one (laughs) to power their home occasionally you might know know him too (laughs) Um, (laughs) but yeah like it's a good question and i have the battery thing is scary it is okay i'll quit talking so you can answer no 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 it's um i mean i think so lithium-ion technology is the most common kind of rechargeable Mm -hmm. battery Mm -hmm. technology we use so if you look at a like a spec sheet or a cut sheet of a battery that you install in your home, right, uh, for like a standard kind of 10 kilowatt size battery that you would put on your home, typically they warrant out the term of that battery, which gives you a sense of how long it lasts. For most lithium-ion batteries today, if I remember correctly, it's around 10 years at 80%. So every year uh, for 10 years, they lose 10% of capacity. So if you install at year one, it has 100%, and at year 10, it's got 80% of its capacity now. So that's kind of the degradation rate these days of lithium-ion batteries. Gotcha. So 20% over, so it's losing 2% a year. 2% a year, yeah, 20%. So after five, what is it, 50 years, you would have a 0% lithium-ion battery. Okay. And I think, you know, there's questions you could ask about recycling these batteries. What would you do with them? Um... Uh, I think there's a pretty growing market for second-use batteries. So the military, for instance, often will buy up used lithium-ion batteries and use them for military installations. You could use batteries for lower-voltage applications. Right, okay. Other stuff. Could you use that to power your home? I mean, that's that's the big question. The other thing is there's lots of other battery technologies out there that have a lower degradation rate. Right. So when I was working for a wholesale distributor, there were like saltwater-based batteries that used very little capacity, lost capacity over time. But often the thing about lithium-ion is you get really high voltage really mm-hmm. quickly, and that's the trade-off that you get. So you lose more of that capacity over time, but you get like a super high-voltage battery that can just pump out a bunch of electricity. A saltwater battery is going to stay good for a really long time, but it's pretty low voltage, right? right and they're right. really big, you right. know? Um, lead acid batteries have been around forever mm-hmm. also lower voltage um, they degrade somewhat quickly depending on the type of battery i'm kind of excited about things like solid state batteries which yeah. there's a ton of patents about i don't know a whole lot about but i know that they like in lab trials lose capacity over time flow batteries which are usually you know this it's a liquid that flows through like a giant uh like shipping container is the size of the battery whoa (laughs) um so there's lots of new stuff that's that's coming out that i think will be interesting and maybe help address some of that question i think there are and i'm not an engineer or a chemical engineer or you know any type of scientist that designs batteries but i do understand that there's like a technical limitation to the amount of capacity you can get from a lithium-ion battery depending on its chemistry. Right, right. So there are some like limits. It just seems like in the world of as we look at electric things batteries inherently almost seem to be the bottleneck in some cases at this point right the distance on my tesla the like amount or how long i can have power without sun hitting my house or whatever those things are so i'm that's one thing i've been needing to pay more attention to is battery technology because i feel like you know your phone your ipad your laptop whatever like we really live this kind of wireless world (laughs) well yeah but we're using a technology that inherently uh it has to be replaced like it it is just and some of the way some of these things are designed you can't just like pop in new double a's right like it's very integrated design i think here's the thing is that everything degrades over time even utility infrastructure paul rudd doesn't 
Paul Rudd doesn't degrade over time. Yeah, or Sean Connery. <laughs> <laughs> but um, outside For of different those reasons. two anomalies, <laughs> yeah, outside of those two anomalies, like if you look, so I mean, uh, poles and wires, which are owned by the utilities, so just regular right. power poles. This is a huge issue because it's very expensive to replace poles and wires. Um, and often those poles and wires will exceed their usable life and you get issues, um, like forest fires in California, which are a huge issue. Um, I don't know what you're talking about. Yeah. <laughs> um, so like everything kind of degrades over time. I think the bigger, I try to look at it as the life cycle. Like I'm under no illusions that solar modules and storage and power electronics will degrade over time and need to be replaced. Um, that's true. That's just a fact of life. So I'm fine with that. But the bigger trade-off here is that like, I would rather have a system with renewable energy and producing the waste that it produces, which is way, way, way less than let's say a 60 year old coal fired power plant right. that needs components replaced every year or something because it's 20 years beyond or 30 years beyond its useful life. Yeah. We've run it way past the, yeah. yeah. No, that makes sense. And I think cost to degradation rate matters to you right so over 50 years how long does it take me or how much investment am i putting in that to maintain let's say 80 percent efficiency or whatever right um it's i think a that's, question, that's a worthwhile thing you know what happens when you sit down with an expert about something you learn a lot of stuff that's what's <laughs> happening right now i'm like i have all these things and you're like i have the answer <laughs> i have a version of an answer yeah but i i mean for me like it's it's an engineering problem and there is no kind of like Physic, like in physics, you can have no perfect system. You're always going to have some loss somewhere. Right. It's just a law of thermodynamics is that there's an energy loss somewhere. Um, I think that technology is getting a lot better. Uh, even in the time that I've been in the industry, solar module warranties have gone up by 10 years. Uh, battery warranties have gone up. Efficiency have gotten better. All that kind of stuff. Right. I just see kind of constant iteration and improvement in the industry. And I think, you know, I love new technology, right? Um, and I used to like adopt, be an early adopter. Yeah. But then I kind of got to this point of like, well, I'll wait for the cost to come down with the functionality that I want. So like, you know, when flat panel TVs came out, dating myself a little bit, but it was like, man, that's, you know, I don't have 2000 to $4,000 right. for this technology that also seems to need replacing in 10 years kind of thing, right? Like, um, but you wait four or five years and all of a sudden Walmart has this, brand you haven't heard of for 600 bucks that I still, well, I finally got rid of it, but I used it for like 10 years, right? right? Like for like literally, I think it was six or $700 um, just because it had become as more and more people start adopting it. The cost of that technology drives down. The technology gets better and a little bit cheaper, more efficient, the manufacturing process, right? Like scalability of it starts to bring it down. So I really think solar is to me, seems like it's right there. Like we've, we've got to be at this tipping point of that becoming, I mean, to your point, Ford just announced an electric F-150. Like that's kind of mind blowing when you yeah. think about who the probable target demographic is for a Ford F-150. Like that in my head is not an electric vehicle. No. Consumer necessarily, right? Like, I mean, I work, so my region that I work for in SIA right now, I oversee is the Southeast. Right. And I have been going to capitals lately, working on various, it's like state capitals and various issues. And I'm telling you, like, the most dyed in the red conservative lobbyists and politicians are jazzed about that F-150. Yeah. Like, that's what they want. It's a cool it's a idea. Brilliant piece of marketing it really is. Yeah. No, it is. Um, I want one. I, I kind of <laughs> want one. And I'm still like, Teslas are super awesome. I really hang in this thing of like, what about the batteries? Like, I just need an answer about the, like, how much does it cost to replace that eventually? Um, I think a smart consumer asks those questions. Well, thanks. That's no. very nice of you to say. And I think, yeah, well, I mean, it's true. And on the utility side, like there are metrics that we use to measure uh, when we should make cost-effective investments. Right. One of the big ones is cost parity. So like if you look at the like cost, like the usable service life of an asset, whether it's um, a coal-fired power plant or a rooftop PV system and what it produces to the grid, you know, and the cost to install it and the cost over its usable life and the benefit that you get out of it. Right now in a lot of utilities, solar is at cost parity with other comparable resources or less than, right? right. So solar is economically 
the best investment a lot of the time for right. these utilities. Is there work being done to, it seems like incentivizing um, at the construction point, right? Mm -hmm. If that could be, if more home builders like Roush Coleman or whoever, you know, the local developer is, has some incentive to include solar into their plan, like that just gives it to you, right? Like now I'm coming to this home and it's just already there. I don't even have to think about the extra, you know, like in some of that cost would be absorbed in just the cost the of having, right, exactly. Yeah. And so you've kind of offset some of that. Like, is there- California did this a few years ago. Oh, really? Ago. Did they? So I think all new homes after Cal like after 2022 or 2023 that are built in California will have a solar system on them. Oh, wow. And they looked at like the cost to put that solar system baked into the new home construction. Right. And you, I mean, construction is way cheaper at the new home level than it is to retrofit a solar system right. into an existing house. So, you know, I think the average cost of that solar system that adds to your mortgage is maybe ten or $13,000. You're paying for that in your three hundred, four hundred thousand dollar mortgage in California, right? Yeah, I mean that thing is making money it's like for pennies. You day one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you're paying for that in your mortgage. You're not paying for it on your electric bill or as a separate bill to pay, you know, whoever financed your solar system. Yeah, it's almost dumb not to, right? Like yeah. it's just you should. Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, no one's really. I mean, mandates are big in West Coast states. Yeah. <laughs> so anybody <laughs> buying a new home in California is not really going to have a choice because it's going to be part of their construction Fair. in most yeah. places. In the South, I mean, in other states, it's tough to pass mandates. I mean, I don't even say the word mandate for the most part in my line of work. Right. But you can have different types of incentives. Like, let's say if you're building a new home uh, and you have a solar system on it, why not give a reduced cost for the permit for that home or no cost for the permit for that home? Right. right. That's an incentive. Right. Um, property tax assessment incentives. You know, there's lots of states in the South that exempt solar systems from property tax. Right. That's an if I had a solar system, I get out of property tax just for the system itself, not for your home. Oh, dang it! Yeah. So it doesn't. <laughs> I was like, hold on, that would get, that gets way closer. Yeah, it does. Hello, state of Arkansas. Here's an idea. <laughs> <laughs> so I mean, you know, that might be something I push in Arkansas because it's part of my region. But this um, one guy, Daniel, would just really like not to pay sales tax. <laughs> I had this conversation. Or property yesterday. tax. <laughs> um, but yeah, stuff like that. I, I mean, there's different ways. I I pushed um, one of the landmark things, uh, pieces of policy that I got passed. Um, in my job in Hawaii at the very end was a reform to the permitting system for Honolulu. And, you know, permanent, permitting, building permits, super boring stuff, but it costs a lot. So in Hawaii, if you look at the average system price, it costs maybe 4 or $5 a watt to install a residential solar system. A dollar a watt goes to permitting costs. So like 20 to 30% of Whoa. the cost of that system just goes to permitting it. That's crazy. It's insane. Yeah, that's um, nuts. So like I I worked for years to push a piece of legislation that basically, you know, says most rooftop systems that go in these days, they're plug and play. They're pretty simple. It's almost like installing like a refrigerator or some type of appliance at your home. Um, so there should really be no permit cost for this. And the permitting should be instantaneous if there is a cost, right? So where we got to was you know, systems that are under a certain size that would mostly go on residences have just like a fast track for permitting huh. and like a nominal fee that you have to pay. That's awesome. Yeah. yeah so awesome. I'd like to push that kind of stuff all over everywhere. So, so what's the tipping point to, as I like using the word earlier, ubiquitous solar adoption? What, what do you think pushes that over the, I mean, everybody has a flat panel TV, right? Like right. that's just, a thing now um what gets solar to that level or a pc in your home everybody has some kind of computer in their home and when i was a kid that wasn't the case yeah same for me what gets us to solar is just a fact of life i think it's a lot of combinations of things i think it's the utility not fighting it anymore because i mean it for most utilities it represents a um a threat to their business model, right? I feel like you're playing Monopoly for real. <laughs> <laughs> I'm the underman. Nobody likes those utilities. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I don't. <laughs> That's pretty clear. The organizations I work for, like, explicitly forbid utilities from being part of them. Right. So it's no secret. Right. But, um, you know... That's one part. I think it's also, there's a huge, 
and there's papers written about this about keeping up with the Joneses effect where if you see your neighbors have it you're way more likely to adopt it in a neighborhood and you'll see this in like neighborhoods in California where one year maybe one or two people in a subdivision have solar five years go by every house has it right can we just do like 3D printed models that we stick on houses to make it look like they have solar? Yeah. And then people start getting solar. People. Yeah. You just right. put one in the neighborhood. <laughs> just saw like, we'll pay you $400 to put this on your roof. I think. Um, Let's not do that. That sounds deceptive. I mean, <laughs> if there's a marketing guy listening, uh, like the Don Draper of solar. Right. Hey, get on this. Um, I think like cost is a really important thing. So um, like I'd like to get down to, you know, a dollar per water less of average cost of installed system for residential um i'd like to see like community solar where if you're a renter you can still buy a piece of a solar system and experience the savings in that i'd like to see more cost transparency for utility scale solar in your so like if if arkansas's utility energy installs a bunch of solar and replaces all their generation your electric bill should go down right right so why would they have all this installer like solar that they've installed and not see your electric bill go down you should Right. right. Otherwise, I would be really mad about, you know, this is a way cheaper resource. So it should go should down. be. Yeah. And then I think, um, you know, programs that just basically make the return on your investment something that you just can't avoid making. So if you right now, you know, if you're installing a solar system, maybe the return on that where you start just generating electricity for free after you pay off the system is, you know, five to 10 years or something like that, depending on the state that you live in. You know, if it's less than a year or a year or two years, it'd be a tough investment not to make right. for most folks. And I think, you know, the more solar you have, the more competition there is in the market, the more it drives down prices of those solar systems. So the more companies there are and the more systems are being built and, and cheaper and, and whatnot, I that is just going to benefit the consumer and drive down those prices. And meanwhile, folks like me trying to remove barriers to those installed costs for solar um, trying to create better programs that better incentivize you. So like you're not just being paid for the electricity, but you're being paid for the services you provide to the grid. You you can participate in a marketplace, right? Um, that you can sell your solar system back and it becomes an asset for you, a generator um, that you make money off of, right? So stuff like that is, you know, where it, it's hard to say. It's a moving target in each state, but at some point, you know, we're going to be at this place where I hope everybody who can get solar is going to have it on their right. roof or everybody who works lives in an apartment can choose to buy electricity from solar rather from, you know, fossil fuels. Yeah. And I guess like based on what you're saying, you know, th there's some runway to get there, right. To get to the oh, cost yeah. and, and get that, that piece of the puzzle. But the other side of it too, and you touched on this earlier when talking about your apartment is if I know that I want solar, what are all the ways I can reduce energy consumption? Yeah. Because then I also have more excess that I can sell back, right? Like um, Energy efficiency is this super boring thing that no one really cares about because it's not as like sexy as putting a PV system on your house. To extent that that's like a, you know, a trick. Like, is that issue. sexy? It kind of looks like headgear for a house. Yeah, I don't know if this enough. is... <laughs> but like when people would ask me in Hawaii, they'd call me up um, when I was the director for that organization and say, okay, well, you know, solar systems are expensive. Like, I don't know if I can afford it. Okay, well... Uh, let's look at all your loads. In Hawaii, the biggest load, electrical load you're going to have, single load, is water heating. It's anywhere from 15 to 30% of your total electric bill is just heating water. Right. So why don't you install a solar thermal system? You get a, I mean, a solar thermal system itself is going to cost maybe five grand, but you'll see a return on investment in Hawaii for that within two years or less. Um, and so once you've done that, the, you know, you've dropped your electric bill by 30%. The system that you need to build for PV is also smaller, is 30 more, smaller. Yeah. So, you know, installing energy efficient lights, appliances, um, energy efficient windows. Like I'm really big into energy efficiency stuff and it's not feel really very my... judged all of a sudden. Don't look, no, 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 I no. haven't done much. I put LED, I put LED bulbs in most places. Yeah. So that's good. Right. Everybody and I put can my improve. hot water heater on a timer. That's good. Uh, that's a huge, huge thing. <laughs> Every place I've ever lived in, I put a water heater. Timer well, mine on. has like a, a recirculation pump because yeah. like it just has, to, so I have hot water like on tap. Yeah, that was a weird dad joke, but yeah, on yeah. demand, right? Like, but uh, yeah, it was just like, I wonder what happens if I put a timer in and just run it in the morning and at night when I really need yeah. hot so water, right? Water. Yeah. And uh, 
it cut my bill down by like 50, 60 bucks a month. Really? Just to ha- yeah. That's huge. Yeah. Yeah. So stuff like that. I mean, that timer cost you what? Maybe not even a hundred bucks. No, it was like, yeah. it's a mechanical timer yeah. from Lowe's. It probably cost $10. It maybe yeah. was 20, right? Like, I mean, it's literally a dial. <laughs> it's mechanical. People forget about this stuff. Yeah. It's it super makes a cheap. huge difference. Yeah. Yeah. Now, if I had like a Wi-Fi one where I could control it because sometimes it'd be nice to not go out to the garage and like move stuff around right. to change this timer Ooh, that's a good idea i yeah. should look at that anyway those are like 50 bucks right yeah probably now <laughs> technology's probably come down um yeah but i think like being efficient because then you can save yourself money up front mm-hmm. while laying the groundwork to like because to me you know i hear incentive in not only could this get to a point where maybe my electric bill is nearly zero or potentially zero but also there could be some generated income off that as well right like and it's gonna be you know maybe not a ton of money but i mean it's starbucks for a week maybe right or whatever like and that's free oh that's how you sell it free starbucks every week for a year yeah for life again if marketing people (laughs) (laughs) um that's not me uh (laughs) so anyway all right so we're we're getting close to time and I've learned a lot about solar. Mostly I've just learned that I don't know anything about solar. I think that's what's actually <laughs> happened for the last 50 minutes of my life now. Um, but I do like to finish every conversation with, uh, it's not even really a question. I'm going to start a sentence and you finish it with whatever comes to mind. Okay. I wish I could. Oh boy. <laughs> I wish I could convince everybody to get a solar system on their house. I, you it's got me way house. closer. I mean, you are one, <laughs> I'm not a percent, um, one, one millionth of a percent on your way to getting everybody to get solar. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's 2% or 3% of total generation in the U.S., so I'm working on it. Yeah, you're getting closer. Yeah. Um, thank you so much for coming and hanging out oh, and chatting you. for a little bit about solar. This was super fun, and uh, hopefully we can hang out a little bit in the future as well. Yeah, I'll be around. I'm from Arkansas, so I'm not nice. going anywhere. They're very cool people people from here apparently yeah (laughs) they're all on your podcast (laughs) it seems like it thanks thanks will look what i did is produced by aaron dotson and daniel quinn sound designed by daniel quinn our digital director is heather Cullen.